And I shoot my shot and stuck on five where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you weren't with me shooting in the gym? Wrong night, fucking form like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circle. And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease, and don't panic quite yet. Now, we finally hit the NBA offseason. There's a lot of draft hype going on. We got to also look at our goals in free agency. And also, we got to look at how the NBA also stunted on us talking about a second bubble, which never happened, as there's still a lot of stuff up in the air. And also, we got to look at going into next season, how that's going to start up. We're going to hear from Michelle Roberts from the Players Association. But before I get to all that, I was fortunate enough the other day to get on a helicopter and I flew over MSG and man oh man I ain't gonna lie man I was sweating bullets the chopper had no doors on him and I didn't want to leave the top of the roof for MSG leaking <laughs> but it was all fun can't lie now, as far as the 2020-21 offseason, we're at the top of the hill, and this downhill ride is going to get pretty bumpy. I ain't going to lie about it. But the NBA got a lot of questions and a lot of things they got to answer to right now. They got to figure out a salary cap in order to start this free agency, and they're going to make this announcement in mid-November. And once they make this announcement, it's going to be a quick turnaround because free agency is going to start right back up. They're going to make that second announcement, and that date is probably going to be like a four-week turnaround. That's their estimate right now. So a lot of our new front office guys are going to have to scramble. They're going to have to already kind of be ahead of the curve and start making deals and trying to figure out which direction we're trying to go. And as far as the scheduling for next season, like I said, everything is in flux right now. Everything is temporary. Things could change at any moment. Right now, they're talking about they want to reduce the travel. They still want to get out at least 82 games, which I don't know how that's happening. But in order to reduce the travel and get all those games in, they're talking about doing mini series within cities it seems like the league is trying to plan their season around the olympics because they want their star players to be showcased in that worldly event you know for the league promotion basically there's some reports that the league wants to start near christmas which i don't think that's happening because right now the smaller market teams they need tickets to be sold and they need revenue sharing in order to operate because they're not going to want to pay the players their salaries without no revenue sharing from the bigger market teams that's pretty much a dilemma right now so a lot of these guys, they're looking like they're going to possibly take a pay cut. So there's going to be a huge clash between the owners and the players coming up. That's why I don't think the league is going to start up near Christmas. But they're talking about a possible start from mid-January on and also the finals being in August. And then the schedules will still end up shifting for the 2021-2022 season. But the key thing to look out for is once the league sets that salary cap, because that's going to begin to set the tone for next season. So teams can know, you know, how much money they're going to have to spend. Other teams that don't want to go over the luxury tax. And also the players that, you know, that are eligible for extensions. What are they going to do? Especially young guys and guys that are veterans. 
Are they going to extend long term? Because things are definitely going to change. A lot of these owners, once again, they do not want to operate next season without selling tickets. Because without no ticket sales, there's no revenue sharing. And the smaller market teams are not going to want to take a hit and still pay players revenues. So right now, what they keep talking about is like the players basically going to take a percentage of their salary and put it into an account. And then by the end of the, the calendar year for the league, the owners are going to figure out, OK, how much operating losses did we take? And they're going to use that money. They're going to take a percentage if they take too much of a hit of that money from the players. And then if they don't take so much of a hit, the players will get that money back. The players and the owners already do this, but they do this like at a very small percentage. But they're talking about charging the players at least like 30, 40 percent. And it's called the escrow tax. Now, looking at a distance, this shit seems like it's not a big deal because these guys get paid millions of dollars. But then when you take a step back and start looking, you're like, damn, these guys are going to take a hit. Remember, they got to pay their agents commissions. They got to pay taxes in their local state, which is probably anywhere from 30 to 40 percent. And then on top of that, they're going to take this escrow tax that could be up to 30 and 40 percent on top of that. So I don't know how y'all feel about getting an extra 30, 40 percent withheld from your checks on top of paying for your federal and state taxes. That shit sounds crazy. But Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Association, she was a bit more optimistic but she letting players know, hey, anything can happen. Because once guys start looking at the money, we already know motherfuckers are going to start feeling a little different. I would be, I would be absolutely surprised. Um, I, mean, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, look, I, I tell the players this, of course, it's possible that they would try to lock us out if we couldn't come to some agreement. It's also possible that they would make things so egregious that we would say we're not playing. So I'm not going to suggest it's not within the, the realm of possibility, but I don't think it's in, within the realm of probability because th th there's not been the sort of stubbornness, dog-headedness, line drawn in the sand, um, which I've seen happen on other occasions. I've heard it's happened on other occasions. I've seen happen in other leagues. So sure, it could happen. I don't think it will. I think we're we're on we're on track to get this done like like grown-ups. We'll see how this plays out because once again we've never been in a situation where we even see billionaires losing money in this pandemic. So if they're taking a hit, especially in the other endeavors, imagine what type of hit the players are gonna end up taking. So we'll see how this works out in this 50-50 partnership between the players and the owners. Now, of course, before I touch on free agency, the biggest thing that's gonna hit us first is the draft, the draft, the draft, the draft. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of mock drafts, a lot of articles. Everyone's writing about every single player. But this draft, after the first two to three picks, is going to be looking like the 2013 draft, where you see a bunch of hype guys go up first, and then the key gems go in later. Now, in 2013, we see Rudy Gobert go number 27, CJ McCollum go number 10, Steven Adams go number 12, Giannis number 15, Robert Covington went undrafted, Seth Curry... A lot of guys that end up playing in the league for a long time went undrafted in this draft. And, you know, the 2013 draft was very hyped up, man. Like Anthony Bennett, Bust, Otto Porter went early, Ben McMore, Trey Burke. Victor Oladipo was the only guy that went early that ended up really working out. Uh, Alex Len went number five. Coley Zeller went number four. When you really look back at that draft, it really came down to positioning and scouting and that's pretty much where this draft is going to come down to because a lot of guys right now they're doing workouts through zoom i mean you add this pandemic on top of it a lot of these guys really have real question marks because you're not even getting a face-to-face -face interaction with a lot of these players 
Now, this is where Leon Rose's new hires, especially the scouts like Frank Zanin out of OKC and Walt Perriman out of the Utah Jazz, are going to have their hands full. These guys are really going to be called to task right here. Also, Brock Aller, even though he isn't a scout, but he's a salary cap guru. Perhaps we can position ourselves to make trades and gain other assets to go after maybe a scout that might get drafted extra early, maybe move up and down the draft, or even make trades to gain other guys from other teams that are trying to maybe dump salary because of the pandemic. See, a lot of these things right now, this draft is not really about the players so much. It's really about the front office guys. Who's going to make the deals? Who's going to take advantage of teams maybe not in a good position and trying to get rid of a player that could be an asset for us? Or maybe we scouted a player where we don't need the eighth or ninth pick. This is why I said after the lottery that our draft positioning did not even matter. I don't know why there was so much hype about the Knicks getting a later pick. It wasn't a big deal because after the first two picks, it's fair game for every single team. And Knicks fans are about to get the first taste of how well did Leon Rose assemble a good team around him. And also my fellow Knicks fans, do not feed into these hyped up mock draft reports. A lot of these teams are putting a lot false information out on players that they're interested in to get other teams to bite into those players so they can go ahead and get the gems that they want. Like I said, this draft is all about positioning. And just like how the NFL does it, a lot of false reports go out by teams on purpose because they want other teams to go like, oh, they're scouting this guy. Let's take a look at him. And meanwhile, while they're looking at this certain player, the other team is really trying to get their gem. They're trying to get their draft position right so they can land their guy. So this is pretty much the mind games that are being played right now. So don't feed into a lot of these mock drafts. Because once again, a lot of these teams right now, we're in almost the end of October. They have not met face-to-face -face with some of these players. And the draft is probably going to be less than 20 days away. Earlier, I had mentioned how the league plans on announcing the salary cap details for next season. And it's going to be a quick turnaround to the announcement of the day in which the NBA teams can go after free agents. It's going to be probably a four-week turnaround. So this is where guys like Brock Aller is going to work his magic to make sure that, that we have a quick understanding of what guys we can go after, how the cap is going to look, added on with guys that we already have on the roster that we have to re-sign, and to put ourselves in a great position for next offseason, in which is the big free agency year, so we can go after big name guys. Now, I know what some of y'all thinking, oh man, we ain't gonna get no free agents next season. But honestly, because of the pandemic and the financial position that some of these teams are in, we don't know what's really going on with some of these owners. Cause like I said, some of their outside businesses are not doing well and we never know what can really happen. Everything is about positioning right now. I mean, we've seen the last two NBA champions get crowned because they put themselves in a great position. We've seen the Lakers mentally put themselves in a great space to stay focused so they can position themselves to finish the bubble and to be in the finals. Unlike the Los Angeles Clippers, which their players were everywhere outside the bubble, doing all types of activities. They just never seen focus all season. And then we've seen the Raptors last year put themselves in a position in which they could win the NBA championship and to take advantage of the Golden State Warriors having injuries. So sometimes, of course, you do need a little bit of luck, but sometimes things are just about positioning. And if the Knicks could position themselves with great free agency pickups this season at a good price, at a good price this season, and have cap flexibility for next season, we could position ourselves. We never know what a disgruntled star. It could be Kawhi Leonard, because the Clippers this year are under pressure to win now. 
And if they have another blow up, who knows? Guys might be willing to walk. And then us being able to land a guy like that, we could attract other guys because we're in position. So as far as this year's free agency, the key thing is going to be to get guys at a great price because the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Pistons will set the tone to how much money is being spent this offseason when it comes to free agency. The Hawks are number one with the spending money. We all know they want to make the playoffs next year. They already said that. They're not really aiming to be a rebuilding team for the next couple of seasons or even the next season. But the key thing is that us and those other two teams are going to pretty much set the tone to how much money is being spent in free agency. And this season might be the season where it comes down to negotiation skills. And it might even come down to which teams don't make a move. That's an underestimated card right there. Whoever doesn't really make a move may end up being a winner. Because of course, this year's free agents, they're pretty good. Especially guys like Fred Van Vliet that can complete our roster and help guys like RJ Barrett actually play better in stride because he doesn't have to play out of position. But at the same time, a lot of these free agents this season are not really game changers. They could help the teams, but they're not really game changers like the next offseason. So with the league trying to set the salary cap in early November and then make the quick turnaround to announce the NBA free agency start date in early December, it leaves that short window for the new hires that Leon Rose picked, particularly guys like Brock Aller, to work the numbers and to figure out under this new salary cap what advantages and disadvantages do we have and what are our better options? Should we make trades? Should we stick to rebuilding? Or could we sign guys this offseason at a certain price point to leave ourselves flexible for the next offseason in which we can go after the game changers? This is where I believe that hire that Leon Rose made of getting Brock Aller is going to pay off for the Knicks right here. Because Brock Aller, man, for him to work that salary cap that last season that LeBron was there to make all them damn trades and those guys still be under a certain threshold that guy was working numbers man he was working miracles and it's fucking amazing that we got a guy like this part of the organization especially at a time like this where the league's numbers are in flux the salary cap is unknown man times like this are designed for guys like brock aller to thrive right about now we're gonna start to change the pace and change the style last but not least I'm going to make this part of my truth self set you free volume two starring Carmelo Anthony as last time we touched base on some of the confusion he has as to why he wasn't understanding his role on the last few teams that we, he was on and just the much ever complicated history he has with us kind of bringing New York basketball back. But at the same time, there was a lack of understanding on as far as the main goal, which was to win a championship as a lot of decisions he made, unlike his peers like CP3, D. Wade, LeBron James, they made sacrifices as far as the pay cut in order to put themselves in an advantageous position to win a championship. So this will be the truth shall set you free, volume two. And the truth shall set you free. And my, my, let's see what Carmelo Anthony had to say. Same thing happened, right? So we, we come here, you know, you already, you know, you have a lot of excitement in the city. You have, you know, Raymond Felton is playing out of his mind. Um, Amari Stoudemire is an all-star. Raymond was supposed to be an all-star. Like, it was, you have Gallinari is here. Like, you you have pieces that's here, and it's a lot of excitement because of the fact that Amari signed to New York. And people forget at that time that Amari signed, 
he was he was Amari Stoudemire. Like he was, you know, he was one of the most dominant big men in the game, you know. And you know, looking back at that, the time that Amari Stoudemire signed, he actually only had about two more years, according to doctors, on how his knees were going to hold up. But the Knicks were playing exciting basketball. Mike D'Antoni was bringing that, you know, ball movement to New York, and it was working. The Knicks were playing very excited. We had Wilson Chandler. It was very exciting. But Melo coming into that fold will actually put a stop to that system. That's probably one of the reasons why him and Mike D'Antoni end up beefing is because Carmelo Anthony is a ball stopper. And a system like that with so much ball movement is pretty much going to put an end to all that. That that one four pick and roll with him, was it was no stopping that, right? So in my mind, I'm like, damn, if I'm going to go start over, like I want to... I'd rather go there and start over with with New York. And I got Amari, I got this team. Okay, I got this. Oh, we're going to build this. And now there's going to be a few inconsistencies with Melo here. And this is my, my issue with him and just his whole New York era being here. It's a lot of inconsistencies of what he says and then what he wants as far as when it comes to like playing successful basketball and then trying to become a champion. Now, Melo said he liked what we had. But clearly, he didn't like it enough because he forced a trade knowing that we would have to give up all the assets. And once again, this was to get his money. And this is the story of Carmelo Anthony. He had to choose. All his peers, once again, like I said before, all his peers end up making sacrifices to put themselves in advantage to win a championship. D-Wade took a pay cut. LeBron took a pay cut. Bosh took a pay cut. CP3 took a pay cut and went to Houston. So you got to look at these things here. Like a lot of things that Melo says is very inconsistent. Once I got there, it was like, okay, I see it. Like, oh, okay, we're going to take our time. I see it. All right, cool. We lose to Miami. All right, we're going to build on it. Right, Miami, when it got the big three, okay, we're going we gonna to build on this. And the year after that, they plucked a piece away, and they plucked a piece away, and they plucked a piece away. And before you know it, well, Miami already had the big three. Mel already knew this. Miami already had the big three. And we still, you know, Mel still forced that trade by threatening to go to Brooklyn. You guys keep that in mind. I'm there. I'm just there. Like, I'm just, I'm there in New York and having to figure all of this out. Well, he chose to stay. Remember that free agency period where he went to Chicago, he went to L.A.? He wanted to go on his little free agency tour? The Knicks had no pieces, no draft picks. No future draft picks. And I believe that was 2014 or 2015. And Melo signed that extension once again. That's going to be his downfall. Just this guy's never taken that pay cut. He always chose the money. And now Melo's going to talk about how, you know, he was just a lonely guy out there with Phil Jackson coming in trying to force the triangle down everyone's throat. It, it, it all happened when Phil got there, right? I mean, it, when, when I came, I think Donnie Walsh was here. When I came, he's the one who he's the one who facilitated all of that, and um, Glenn Grumwald was the GM. And with Glenn, it was like, and those two guys did their thing. I mean, sorry to stop it right there, but those two guys did their thing. And keep in mind, Steve Mills, out of nowhere, just let these guys go without even saying nothing. The same thing for Mike Woodson's coaching staff after that fifty-four uh, game win season. They were all fired. Nothing was said. No press run, nothing. What are we gonna do? We're gonna build this, heal the pieces that we really that we think we need. Like this is a this is a, a two, three year plan, but we're gonna follow the plan. We're gonna build it. And you know, 
um, they get rid of Glenn Grunwald, right? And Mike D'Antoni leaves, and it's just like things just started falling apart. But then it's like, okay. Once again, mellow means you force Mike D'Antoni out. See the inconsistency in, inconsistencies there? Mellow's very well media trained, but he has to be more well aware that, all, you know, the fan base knows what's going on. I mean, this is not like the Laker fan base. I mean, the Knicks fan base is diehard. We know everything. D'Antoni Lee, okay, Mike Woodson takes over. Oh, now we are, you know, he coming off of Atlanta. Atlanta was playing good those years with him. His offense was, was great. Okay, this is the offense that we really need. Right, we start. You know, we got the older cats now: J. Kid, Kmart, uh, Kurt Thomas, Canby, Metal World Peace. Like we went and got Pablo Prigioni. Like that was our older crowd. That was. Our- yeah, we had no choice but to go after those veterans because we really didn't have any a lot of pieces. We got, you know, they went out and spent their money on Tyson Chandler to use the amnesty clause on Billups for God knows what reason. I mean, the Knicks after that just pretty much didn't have any other moves. The guys, and then the middle of the pack was myself, Amari, um, Jr., Tyson Chandler. Like that was the the middle pack, and then the young guys was uh, and, and Raymond, and then the young guys was Iman Shumpert. Like we went and got, you know, we drafted Iman Shumpert. Court, I mean, um, Chris Copeland was part of that. Steve Novak was part. Of, like we had a good unit. When Phil came, it was like, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it, right? I, I got to bring Before he continues to get on to Phil Jackson, you know, you look back at Melo's career, when he had a veteran point guard like Chauncey Billups or Jason Kidd, that was the most successful that he had as far as bringing a team, you know, deep into the playoffs or just going far, you know, as far as being in New York, getting into second round with Jason Kidd and, you know, Rasheed Wallace and all that veteran leadership. And the same thing with Denver. They got far with Chauncey Billups after trading Allen Iverson away. I got to bring in the personnel in here to fit the system that I'm trying to run. This guy doesn't fit in the triangle. This guy doesn't fit in the triangle. I don't want the. I don't want these type of guys. So he started slowly picking, picking the, you know, picking the team apart and putting in his pieces that he felt would work in that triangle. But also, we was at a pivotal time in offense, right? And just in the game where it was going at. Because the triangle, it works. But now the game is getting faster. You know, guys are getting quicker. Guys are jumping out the gym. It's like, no, we can't. We can't slow it down when we got a fast break. Yeah, and that all falls on James Dolan right there. There's a lot of miscommunication right there. Now, I'm not sure you guys remember that the fan base was going to have a strike in front of MSG. And it was uh, quiet as kept. It was a PR move that James Dolan went out and got Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson didn't want that job. That's why he got paid so much money. And then right away, the protests end up not even happening because Dolan went out and got Phil Jackson. But Melo was right right here because the game was changing. And that off and that triangle offense, especially the way Phil wanted to run it, was kind of dinosaur. You know, you can look at the Golden State Warriors. They, they kind of ran... A version of a triangle offense but it was more updated but this kind of left mellow in a weird position especially a ball stopper like mellow triangle offense is not what they needed and phil jackson did a poor job of just adapting to their personnel play in the two guard front and we got derrick rose and raymond fell and like you, you you can't do that you can't put derrick rose up there in the two guard front that's just not 
his game. Like we we need we need D Rose up and down the court. We go get Joe Kim because again we we started slowing the game down, and that's where that's where you see guys wasn't comfortable in in that situation. Damn, Joe Kim got paid, boy. Ooh, he got that free four year money, and you know he went to high school down in NYC too, man. He went to two high schools down here. Then got suspended from one of them, but he's an NYC guy. And I was one of them, but because because I wasn't comfortable in it, I decided to give it a chance. Like, damn, let me see if, let me figure this out. Like, let me really learn the triangle. Let me study the triangle. Let me get it to a point where, Phil, you gotta come to me and say, Yo, you manipulating my triangle. Like, like I, I wanted to become the student of it. And yeah, I, I got, you know, I was talking to Kobe all the time just about the triangle and just how to do things. I would call MJ and just get little pointers with him on how to, you know, how to play the, 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 the triangle. But it was very hard because it wasn't hard to learn it. It was hard to execute it because the personnel wasn't there. But also... Also, Melo wasn't going to change his game for the triangle. It's probably one of the reasons why Phil Jackson never wanted to coach the team. <laughs> you know, I'm surgical with this bitch, Jake. Yeah, come on, Melo. Stop frying. You wasn't going to change your game for that, especially with the guys that are on the team. You probably looked at it and was like, are we going to win a championship with this? I don't think so. So I'm going back to playing my old game. You know, you, because you wasn't the coach, it wasn't going to run the way that you expected it to run. If you want to coach, you come down here and coach, and we would listen. We could run this triangle all day long. And Phil Jackson probably knew Melo was stubborn about his game. Later on in this interview, you'll see Melo, he is really stubborn about his game, about switching up. But Phil Jackson was going to coach this team, not with Melo. It wasn't, there wasn't no, <clears throat> there wasn't no pushback. Guys was, guys was unhappy. Guys didn't want to do it, but it wasn't like, nah, we're not doing this. We're not, because again, I mean, once again, they probably followed after Melo. Because if Melo bought in and they seen the guy that's getting paid all the money, the guy that's the face of the franchise buying in, the other players are going to bound to buy in. But you know Melo ain't bought into that. Come on. <laughs> you know, I'm surgical with this bitch, Jake. It works, right? But when you have, when you playing that way a whole, for a whole 48 minutes, Teams make adjustments. You're not making no adjustment. You just continue playing that way. The ball will find you, right? Your, your body movement and ball movement. Like, that's what that's what it is. Wherever you pass the ball out in the triangle, that dictates what happened in the offense, right? So when you start learning that and you start figuring out from a, from a cerebral standpoint, it's like, man, this is like... If they make an adjustment, we're done. <laughs> if, they, if they if they if they if they deny the, the cross, the, if they deny the two guard front, we're done. If they yeah. deny the blind pig, we're done. They so teams started to do that. Teams started to get smart, which makes perfect sense because yo, we used to get blown out after timeouts. I mean, it used to be a joke. After a timeout, we used to just get we used to get owned every single time. It makes complete sense now. But Melo, I got to give him props because there was a season where he did make major adjustments. I think he averaged less than 20. Well, he was still hitting 20 a game, but he just wasn't hitting like that 25. But there was a lot of games where he's getting 15 points a game, like six assists, and Knicks were winning games. Like, he was changing his game slowly. And Easy. I, so, and, and I used to, I studied the triangle all day, every day, like to the point where it's like, there was nothing in the triangle that I, I didn't know. I, I used to go sit, the couple times I sat with Phil, 
I used to go sit with him and tell him about the, the triangle. Yeah, but all that didn't matter because, like you said, none of it was executed. And he would be like, "Man, I'm impressed." Like, I'm, I'm he was super impressed in, in the way that I was able to articulate what I knew about the triangle and break it down. And believe it or not, he taught me how to manipulate the triangle. <laughs> Bill did that. He taught me how to manipulate the triangle because, again, to your point, Jay, wherever you pass the ball, that dictates everything. So guys are in positions that they normally won't be in, and when they get the ball, everybody stay home or everybody gets denied, and now you have to make a play. And if you don't have those playmaking abilities, then you're going to look crazy out there. In, in that triangle. So that's all, those are all the things that I, that I actually had to deal with. All it does is, all a triangle really does is give you structure on the offensive right. end, right? It, it puts you in spots. And once you're in those spots, you can play out of that. You can do whatever you want to do. So everybody has the green light in the, in the triangle. It's, it's, it's crazy because, again, when you're in it, you're just trying to get through it, right? You're not really reflecting on it. You're not really like, damn, what really, what really happened? Only thing you know is this shit ain't working. Listen, we got to figure this out. You know what I'm saying? Like what, but mind you, people don't understand. I've played for, since I, I've been in New York for seven years, seven and a half years. I've played for maybe five, four or five, four or five different coaches. So there was never no consistency we couldn't grow. We couldn't build, right? So, yeah, I believe Melo played with over seven different head coaches, and over I believe five different head coaches and seventy-one different players, just coming from the bench, starting. It's just it's it was a mess. But like I said, Melo had great poise, not blowing up in the media, but as far as where the Knicks were going, he did have options to get out. When his, when his contract extension came up, I believe in 2015 or 14, that year where he kept walking around, acting like he wanted to be a free agent. He had, he had ways to get out of it, but he, he sticked around, man. The money was too good. Players, I played with over 100 players. I had a over, over 100 different teammates in seven years. Three, three GMs, three GMs, three presidents, like, and I'm getting, and you put this all on me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when it, that's when it all went, it went downhill from, from there. And that's why I look like Phil takes most of the, most of the run of it because it all started when he came, the personnel changed, um, you know, guys, guys, uh, confidence. They started, guys started to lose confidence. They was coming to the locker room and just like seven. I don't know, man. I don't, man. Look, it's on you tonight. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> But they started losing confidence because they we don't know what to do. See, and that's one of the things I always preach about the Knicks front office being on code because them being dysfunctional like that, just Steve Mills is firing guys left and right, then Phil Jackson out of nowhere is the guy, coaching changes. Imagine the young guys, how they feel. They're changing systems. They're just lacking confidence. The media is coming down their ass because of Dolan. This is why I said the regime right now with the Knicks, with Leon Rose, this is a good sign, man. At least we get some some sort of consistency. That way guys like RJ Barrett can get some uh, confidence going, playing under one system at least for a couple of years. He's telling us to do one thing from upstairs. 
the coach is telling us to do one thing. The assistant coaches is telling us to do one thing. Oh, and and, and you and seven eight Mel, you you telling us to do it. You telling us to do something too, right? Like who do we who do we supposed to listen to? I'm like, listen to me. Like it's me. I'm gonna listen. Go out there and play basketball. See all that right there. That's Steve Mills. That's been that's been the summary of Steve Mills' whole tenure with the Knicks. You're just a bunch of different directions coming from a bunch of different people. Too many hands in the pot before he gets players get the the final notice of what to do. And same thing for Dolan. Dolan has no idea what's going on because Steve Mills, like in the final year he was there, telling Dolan that the team was ready to be winning. A lot of this miscommunication, it falls under that guy. At the end of the day, man, that guy is the fall guy. Get out your head, play ball. We'll deal with the triangle later. We'll watch film on it. Like, today we had to win this game today by any means necessary. And they didn't like that. I mean, I, in all honesty, Bill didn't like that. Bill didn't like that. So at, at that point, I had to say, you know what? <clears throat> I just got to do what I got to do. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. I know the media. I know what's happening. I know what they doing. I, I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? I know what they say. They, It's 100 of them at practice every single day, right? And you hear the whispers and you hear this. And, and so I, I just knew, I knew what I was up against. I knew no matter what they was gonna have something to say, right? So it was just like, just go play ball, enjoy it, have fun. Don't never let them, don't, don't, don't let them see you sweat. You know, if, even if it's bothering you, fuck it, like, get through it. You know what I'm saying? So I had, a, I started rallying my teammates like that and giving them that same mentality. Like, look, this media, they against us at the end of the day. And as you can see, what's happening in front office, what's happening with, you know, what, what, what yeah. It's very interesting that last comment Melo made. The media is very against us. That's one of the hurdles about the Knicks, man, because of the ongoing beef with James Dolan in the Daily News. It's just another hurdle. The media is actually probably not even realizing them going against the owners so bad is that they're creating another hurdle for the players to go over in order to win. Not only every night they're going against opponents on the court, they're going against the media off the court. This shit doesn't even make any sense. I'm going to replay it for you guys one more time. In that same mentality, like, look, this media, they're against us at the end of the day. And as you can see what's happening in front office, what's happening with, you know, with, with, with PJ, we, we got to leave that alone. Like, we have to play. And they started getting, it was like a rally cry. You know what I'm saying? It was like a speech, like, yo, we got to go, man. Like, it's us against New York media. It's us against our own organization because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. So imagine the mindset that you have to have and the courage and integrity you have to have to stay in that. To God damn, that pretty much sums up some of the pressures of being a Knicks. <laughs> going against the media, going to kind of, in a way, like Melo said, going against your own organization. This shit is chaos in all angles. And once again... One of the main culprits behind all this is Steve Mills for a lot of the confusion that's been going on. With that, I'm talking about you score 35, you're getting booed. If you don't, you know, if you miss your first three shots, you're getting booed. You know what I'm saying? Like it's that, that was the culture and not everybody, not everybody can handle that. People look at the OKC situation like, oh, they, it didn't work. Oh, it was the worst situation. Like, for me personally, I actually really enjoyed my time in OKC. Like, 
that team, I enjoyed it. Being around those guys, I enjoyed it. You know, hence we didn't, granted, we didn't, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. You know, what, what the, the goal was to win with that team. We didn't do it. We, we, we underachieved. And, and our minds were just like, yo, listen, man, we coming back. Like, next year, we're going to be good. Like, we got to, you know, got to yield our belt. This is new. This is new to everybody, right? Russ, this is your team. I right, PG, you signed here. P, you was doing what you was doing in Indiana. Cool. I'm coming. I was. I'm coming off an All Star year in New York, so I'm like, okay, let's go back right there. All Star year in New York. Matter of fact, somebody got injured and Melo was welcome into the All Star game, but Melo did not. Was not having an All Star year in New York, not at all. The Knicks were losing a ton of games. Remember, they went overseas and played against Detroit in that London game, and the Knicks were just getting slaughtered. There was a lot of games where Melo was dropping a ton of points in the first quarter, the first half, and the Knicks were down by like 20. There was a lot of those games that season. I believe the year he's talking about is the 2016-2017 season before the following season when he got shipped to OKC. Melo did not have a good year, and you'll see right here he's about to get a rude awakening to how his play it really has a, a negative effect on his team. Let's put this all together. Let's just go and put it out there, and we're going to see what happens. It didn't work out. And, and here's another reason why, you know, with Melo, he probably didn't understand how much he was deteriorating. Melo a lot for that 2016-2017 season, when he took the ball to the hole, he was not getting any lift on his legs at all. A lot of pump faking, a lot of double clutching, he just, he just wasn't finishing at the rim like he used to. And maybe quiet is kept, man. That block that Roy Hibbert had on Melo, that's probably the last time Melo could really get up like that. I mean, Melo ain't really looked the same since. Came out of money. Luxury tax. They was already going to be in the luxury tax. and But they took a chance and said, nah, we got a chance to win this. And if we win it, we'll figure this shit out. But we got a chance. We got a chance to win this. I already knew what I was up against from a luxury tax standpoint. Hell yeah, and then going to OKC, that ownership group is very cheap. Very, very cheap ownership group. But at the same time, Melo was up against a lot over there. Just Westbrook, just the way he played. He's like a more athletic Melo in his prime. Just the way he plays, you can't win like that at all. And then just having Paul George, we all see from the 2020 bubble, how Paul George mentality is like during the playoffs. He's not playoff P at all. And just having Melo in that mix, we all know Melo was going to opt in after that, thus putting the OKC management in a predicament because you know they didn't want to go over that luxury tax. Just everything spelled to be ugly over there at OKC. And then that coach that they had, that coach does not, does not like handle his superstars really well. I don't know if he's scared to coach his superstars to tell Westbrook, like, yo, what you doing is not going to work. He just he just seemed like he was shook, too shook of Westbrook. That team was never going anywhere. You know, I knew I was going to have to figure out what, what was going to, because I, I think I was old 27 or 28 that year. So I, man, you was old about 30, Melo. Stop fronting, man. And the truth shall set you free. Melo was making bread compared to, like, you know, his output. Cause he was like he was like a 15 points per game guy like in that system. Just Melo's making a lot of money, man, for a guy with his output. I was gonna have to revamp my contract or talk, you know, just do a, get a new deal or have a way we was gonna do. It. I was willing to figure it out in OKC. 
stop lying, Melo. You was not willing to figure that shit out. You was gonna opt in. You wanted your fucking money. <laughs> you know I'm surgical with this bitch, Jay. You probably figured OKC ain't gonna win. Let me just get paid anyway. And you was right for doing that anyway. And I just started to feel like I was the almost like the the outcast. I'm like, like what about me? Things would happen and it would be events in OKC and I wouldn't get the call. And I'm like, damn. Is this what's <laughs> am I off the team already? Like, <laughs> like but mind you, I, <laughs> it seems like Melo Mello wasn't holding on to his Bible hard enough down there, OKC, man. He ain't getting no calls, no invites to team events. God damn. I just remember, man, like after the season, I'm in Paris, Fashion Week. <laughs> okay. And I'm talking to I'm talking to like Billy Donovan or something like that. And he's just like, yeah, um, you know. I don't think it's gonna work. Like, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What you mean it's not gonna work? Like, what, what you, where's this coming from? Right? He's like, no, nah, I just don't, I don't think it's gonna work. But mind you, I know, I know what's going on. They wanna, you know, they wanna implement PG more. They want, you know, I, I, I know the game, so you can't run the game on me. So I said, listen, I wanna be here. I wanna make this work. If we come back next year, we're gonna be fine. Like, we, we're gonna be fine. Are you on our belt? We're gonna be fine because we know what we, we know what we had to do and we know what we was up against. He's like, ah, oh, I just don't. You mind coming off the bench? And I'm like, <laughs> yo, for that to be his next step, it is kind of crazy, but it shows you how desperate they was. I mean, think about it, man. They got eliminated by fucking Utah and a rookie freaking shooting guard. That's unbelievable. I mean, we talking about a team with like an MVP player, Paul George, Paul George and Westbrook in their prime with Melo, kind of on the downhill of his prime, and for them to not even be close like that, it's just, it's unheard of, man. I, I know it was making Billy Donovan look bad, but I mean, it is what it is. Where is this coming from? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what would make you think that? You know what I'm saying? I wasn't coming from an arrogant standpoint. But it was just like. Why would you just come to me and that's the first thing you want? Why, why would you start that narrative? You know what I'm saying? Like, like why? Because he didn't want you and Russell Westbrook to take turns. Your turn, my turn. Your turn, my turn. See, the reason why I worked with Durant, because Durant shoots like about 50%. I mean, Westbrook giving Durant the ball at odd angles. Durant still making those shots. Imagine he had a crisp point guard. Like when he went to the Golden State Warriors, just giving him correct passes in the flow of the game, in transition, open. I mean, this guy is automatic, but he was shooting 50% with Westbrook, giving him all sorts of crazy passes. And Melo and Westbrook, they can't play that it's your turn, my turn shit. They're not efficient enough to do all that. He was just like, ah, well, we want to, you know, we want to we want to play um, you three guys out there at the same time. It's not going to work. And we want to play Jeremy Grant out there with those. And I'm like, I'm like, I love Jeremy Grant. Love him to death. But be honest with me. Yo, this ain't gonna work. We want it. We, we gotta get you out of it. Yeah, see, right there, Melo still don't get it. And once again, this is the complicated history he's gonna have with the Knicks when you look back at it. It was like, just him being stubborn like that on a team that had a reigning MVP, that had Paul George, and that had other guys like Steven Adams. They had key pieces around that team off the bench. And for him to be stubborn like that and not understand the role that they wanted him to play in order to win is crazy. 
I'm going to replay that for you once again because that team was expected to at least make a decent playoff push. And they, like, once again, they had major pieces on the team, even though those pieces wouldn't really win, but they had a reigning MVP. This is 10 times more than what the Knicks ever had. And Melo still didn't want to understand his role on the team. You three guys out there at the same time is not going to work, and we want to play Jeremy Grant out there with those. And I'm like, I'm like, I love Jeremy Grant. Love him to death. But be honest with me. Yo, this ain't going to work. We want We, we got to get you out of here. I, I would rather you tell me this is not going to work and we don't see you. We don't see this working out and happening. And I, let's work together. Get me somewhere where I want to go. And it's cool. So, AKA, get me somewhere where I want to start. I mean, Mellow, man, the truth self set you free, brother. And the truth shall set you free. I mean, that's all it is. Mellow just wanted to start. He wanted to get his minutes. He couldn't imagine them winning with Jeremy Grant. I mean, if they're not winning a championship with Jeremy Grant, you know, starting over him, then what's the point of doing all this? That's probably how Mellow looked at it. And if Mellow's being that stubborn on a team that got pieces, way better pieces than we ever had on the Knicks, that means we had no shot ever to go to at least even attempt to win a championship with Mellow. And this is probably one of the reasons why Phil Jackson just didn't want to come down, you know, from the little skybox seats and coach the Knicks at all. Because he knew Mello was stubborn. That that didn't happen. I get the call in Paris, and he's like, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's not. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We got to figure this out. I think, you, I think you need to start looking elsewhere. And I just felt, I felt like so, like, belittled. Like, damn, like. Is it me? Like, am I doing something wrong? Did I just do something wrong? Because I... Yeah, Melo had no idea. For him to call his 2016-2017 season an all-star season is crazy. The Knicks were losing against bad teams by, like, 20. With Melo scoring at least 20 points plus. But anytime he had those games where he had 15 points a game, 6-7 assists, the Knicks were winning those games. And you guys can check back and look at that season. Those were the seasons where Melo began to change his game and involve the teammates more. The Knicks were winning those games where Melo just had 15 points. The crowd was lit. MSG was looking good. And the fans were happy. The Knicks were playing a lot better brand of basketball. With games that Melo had 22 to 25 points, the Knicks were getting blown out. The one who really, really sacrificed on that team. You understand? And I was with it. I went to the coach and told him, let me know what you need me to do. I'm willing to do it to make to help the team work. And nobody's gonna talk about that part of it, but that's 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 for another day. And then I leave, and it, it was an event in, in OKC that summer. And people hit me like, oh, you're not yo, you're on OKC. I'm like, nah, I'm not like what, what's happening? Am I supposed to be there? Like, yeah, the whole team is here. I ain't know, you know, the whole team is here. And I'm like, word. Hit Russ, yo, you on OKC? Hit PG, yo, he like, yeah, we out here, man. Where you at? You supposed to be here. Like, I ain't never get the call about no get together. So, AKA the ownership don't want to pay this guy, man. I mean, that you know, that's them just saying they don't want to pay for him. But at the end of the day, they understood like what he was giving them. It just it didn't make sense to even go over the luxury tax. My my time at OKC. It wasn't it wasn't bad. Like I, I'm not gonna sit here and say it was bad. I actually have No, it, it was bad. It was bad, Melo. Come on, man. <laughs> you know I'm surgical with this bitch, Jay. 
It was bad, man. You, you you did not want to come off the bench. You were missing a lot of open jump shots nonstop. I mean, you guys were just losing against bad teams. It was real awkward, man. That first round exit in the playoffs, it just wasn't a good look at all. It was bad. Great time, OKC. I wish it would. I wish OKC would have worked out, honestly. But then I get to Houston, and when I get to Houston, now I really feel like an outcast. But because that's because he still didn't understand his role and what they wanted him to do. Remember, Melo was taking a lot of mid-range shots, posting up, stopping ball movement. The game had evolved already. It was a bunch of threes, particularly in the conference he was in. It was a bunch of threes, a bunch of, you know, ball movement, guys scoring quick. Melo was just playing this old school, you know, just trying to go in the lane, pump fake a hundred million times, get blocked, and then sh missing open jump shots, taking long mid-ranges and just missing all of them. It just wasn't, it just wasn't efficient at all. Him shooting about 40% like he did for most of his career, those days of just playing hero ball, it was ending. I got CP there. It's like, oh, I cool. Okay, cool. Like, my brother's there. We can work this out. PJ and James, and we can work this out. I am the piece that they that that team needs. But that's that wasn't their that wasn't their thinking. They thought that they wanted me to come in and be a spot up shooter. They wanted you to come in there and be a spot up shooter. That's what they do. You have to come in and fit into the system. They didn't care what you did all those years before. And you would think with Mike D'Antoni, him beefing with Mike D'Antoni in New York, he would go down there after not getting a job and be on his best behavior. But this guy still didn't get it. And that's what I mean why when I say the Knicks going to have a very complicated history with Melo, when you realize, wow, he went to another team with a reigning MVP in James Harden, and he still didn't want to understand his role. But we had nothing like that on our squad. So if we actually had a better way of winning and we presented it to Melo, Melo was not gonna was not gonna bow down to that unless unless it was a guaranteed championship or something. Oh, I don't, don't want to throw no names out, but they wanted me to be a spot up corner shooter. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what he ended up doing when he went to Portland. This shit is unfucking believable, man. This guy still don't understand. Like, run to the corner, spot up, and that's it. And it didn't work at all. It didn't no nigga, it didn't work for you. Fuck, man. At all. And I used to I used to tell them, like, look, yo, throw me a bone. Like, I'm going to them, like, yo, throw me a bone. Yo, just on a switch, throw it in there. Like, I need, I need that feel. I need that. You know, I'm a rhythm player. Like, I can't. Everything is I, I, I. I need that. I need that. I need that. I need that. You see? This is a story mellow. Everything is about him. Everything is about him. I need that. I need that. Basketball is a team sport. And like I said, the Knicks actually had no chance of going far with this guy. He just never understood that. It was like, we understand what you like, but doesn't mean it's good for the squad in order for us to be successful. This is one of the major downfalls of Melo. I mean, he had great poise being in New York, handling the media, especially with the Knicks being stupid in the front office. But damn, his vision as far as on the court as far as the team being successful, it was very limited because he still wanted to eat and get his. Like he always says, like when he was coming up through AAU and just college, he had to get his. And he carried that mindset while being in the league. First of all, I can't I, I can't come off the bench and then shoot a three, shoot three threes in a row. Like I just can't, yeah. I can't do that. 
Man, I, again, <clears throat> I went from New York, all-star, leave to go to OKC. No, once again, he was not an all-star. <laughs> he did not get voted in. It's crazy that season, 2016-2017. For you to have a whole New York City tri-state area, plus all the Knicks fans throughout the states, to not vote you in, it says a lot. It's not like you play for, like, the Miami Heat or just, you know, another team that's sort of viewed as a big market but not really as one. You're playing for the New York Knicks and your Carmelo Anthony, your big name. And for the city overall with all those people, 8 million people plus, to not vote you in that year, you had to get in because someone got hurt. That shit says a lot. You are not playing at an all-star level. This is what I mean by Melo. His vision, I don't know who's gassing his head up, who's around him, but they're not telling him the truth. Which is, I did, before I even got to OKC, before it happened, I was, I already had in my mind, I'm willing, anywhere I go, I gotta, I'm going to sacrifice. Because now I want to win. So anyway. But in his mind, his sacrifice could be very little. It could just mean, oh, instead of taking 20 shots a game, I'll take 12 to 14. That could be his version of sacrifice. I go, I, I'm, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm not going to be the first option anymore. I can go to a team and be the first. I can just stay in New York and be the first option. Now I want to win. What's my options? Where I'm going to go? Okay, OKC pulled the trigger the 25th hour. You know what I'm saying? Like, they pulled the trigger at the very last minute, right before media day. So now they already got their system that they already implemented throughout the whole summer. So now I'm coming in. Media day, and it's like, damn, yo, we got Melo here too. Ah, oh, well now we gotta, we gotta figure, we gotta figure the system out. What, what's, who's gonna get? I don't think OKC planned on figuring out any system. I think they pretty much had their system. They was hoping that Melo was gonna adapt to it. Touches, who's the what offense we gonna run? Because you already implemented the offense that was that was basically for you. I mean, for Russ and PG. I had no nothing to do with that offense. But when I come, it's like, holy shit. Okay, this is too much firepower. How are we gonna make this work? So I think that's why we got up to a slow start. When I get to Houston, the basketball part of it is like, at this time, I'm like, I know I'm, this is another sacrifice. But now we're gonna, I'm sacrificed for the greater good now. Like I'm, I'm willing to sell my soul to, to go win. And this is what I'm thinking. No, you was willing to sell your soul to be on a squad because him getting on Houston was a first sign that, yo, nobody was interested. Houston hit him up on some last-minute shit. Nobody was interested, and that's why he was willing to sell his soul. But after Houston was, you know, end up dropping him after the first, I believe, 10 games, and they end up playing better afterwards, that's when Melo hit rock bottom. And when I get there, I, I honestly didn't feel like I was a part of Houston at all. So from a basketball standpoint, to your question, I had to isolate myself to really lock in from a basketball standpoint, right? In the gym more. You know, the gym was my, people say the gym was a sanctuary. That, that year was really my sanctuary. You know, John Lucas in the gym with me before practice, after practice, before shoot around, after shoot around, after games, before, like it was, the work ethic was different, but I know I needed that for my own basketball psyche. Like I, 
because I was already starting to doubt myself. Like, damn, like, am I, is this, is this who I am now? See, once again, Melo's still focused on him. He's still focused on the fact that they wanted other bench players to kind of get reps before he did, or just him not starting. That shit is still stuck on his fucking head. And he doesn't realize, yo, we need this for the squad to be where they want to be at. Melo never understood these things. I just don't get it. And do I want to be that? Fuck it, that's too late. I'm already here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy into it. Oh, Melo, you gotta come off the bench. Word? Like, I was like, why is that? Why, where, where did the narrative come from? Okay, now, Melo's probably looking at it at Houston's bench. You know, you got guys like, you know, House, guys like, you know, Gordon. Guys that Melo, you know, from a name standpoint, you could tell is definitely better than. But it's all about the, the fit. Melo didn't have reps with these guys. They ran a different system. Melo should have just accepted it. You know, this is where he's at in his career. And just the ego, just everything is I, I, I. And you forgot, man, this is Mike D'Antoni he's playing for. The guy that he forced out of New York. And I, don't, I just think Melo couldn't get over the fact that, in my opinion... The Houston Rockets were asking him to be at least the third or fourth guy off the bench. This shit must have killed him. It never was, I'm not doing it. Never was that. Never was that. And honestly, knowing whatever past history I've had with Mike D'Antoni, I went to him. Mike, I need you to be honest with me. Tell me my role. Like, we we ain't gonna do we ain't gonna do what we did in New York. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not having that. I'm I grew, you grew, we both matured. No, Mike D'Antoni didn't fucking grow, man. Come on, Melo. Mike D'Antoni's like 70 years old already. You mean you kind of grew, but you still don't understand your role, and they already told you your role. It's just they're waiting for you to accept it. Tell me my role on this team, what you need, right? And I, I just need I need you to be you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need you to bring what you bring. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. First of all, Mike D'Antoni, he does not argue with his players. That's one of the reasons why I would say he's not a championship coach. He does not argue with his players at all. And if you remember when he was on the Knicks, no matter how dramatic shit got, no matter how bad things got, Mike D'Antoni never yelled, man. He just kept saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. We all know this shit. You know what I'm saying? And then we, you know, preseason and happening, it's like, damn, I'm like, we playing. Okay, this is, this is, this is what I, okay, this is why I came here. But then it was like first game. It, it never it never was communicated to me that I was coming off the bench. Now I don't want to make it seem like I was I was against it. I just wanted I, I wanted that up front. Cause let me get my mental right. I never came off the bench ever in my life. Yeah, but that's not Houston's problem. That's a you problem. They're after a championship. That team was contending against the Warriors <laughs> to try to get to the to the conference finals, man. This team is where they need to be at. They have the reigning MVP. They have certain key pieces in place, man. You just come in as like sort of, I mean, no offense to Melo, he came in as like another kind of pawn piece. He just wasn't like a main piece to this team. They ran a three and just a basically a layup team. They just took layups, shot threes, and barely played any defense, which <laughs> you figured that would hit, that would kind of help Melo out, but not even. I mean, it is what it is. Ever. So, you know, 15 years, and then now, come off the bench. 
do you know the do you know the pride and the ego blow that 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 had on me? I'm like, see, once again, everything is about my pride, my ego, oh my mental, oh everything, me, oh oh my god, my heart, oh how are you gonna make me come off the bench? I was the bench, oh my god, they used to be bums coming off the bench. You know how this is how Melo think. This is everything is kind of blowing his high right now. But everything is about him. It's like yo. We already reached the conference finals without you. We just came in and added you as a piece. You gonna help out or not? Come on, Melo, man. Try to understand. And it's crazy how Melo keeps joining these teams with reigning MVPs. Teams already got other key pieces in place, even off the bench. The Knicks had nothing like that. They had Melo as a leader. And the reality is, and I just hate to say it, my fellow Knicks fans, we had no shot of winning a chip with this guy. None at all, because if he was asked to make a major adjustment, perhaps let's say if we got another superstar and the superstar was kind of more tailored to the coach's system and they asked Melo to be the 1B, Melo was not going to do it, man. Come on. Damn, I got to I got to I got to get my like it, it was very difficult. It was very it was very difficult. So out of all of this experience, that was the hardest thing for me. That was the hardest thing to stay in it mentally and emotionally the basketball part of it that that was gonna happen that was that was gonna change no that was not happening at all if you look at most of Melo's highlights in houston he missed a lot of open jump shots that cp3 was feeding him that was another issue that they had it was like damn he's taking these long mid-range jump shots open and he's missing these shits what is this guy good for his feet are slow he can't really take it to the hole like he used to. What is he really good for? We might as well have guys like House Gordon come off the bench and do their thing. They actually fit into the system a lot better. But the mental part and emotional part was the hardest part that I had to deal with. And by the time that they let me go in Houston, which was only after nine games, that's when I was just starting to accept my role. You know, I, I was just getting comfortable and accepting my role. Like, I'm right, coming off the bench. Let me try to let me let me try to make this fun. You know what I'm saying? Damn, that's crazy. This guy, it took him that long to even just. He started making fun of it, but you know, kind of poking fun of it. Oh, let me make this fun, but damn, it's just like they're all looking at him like, yo, you not. He just he was in denial, man. I think Melo hit his first athletic death, man, as an athlete. You know, just. Though you're not where you used to be and everyone sees it, but you, and we're going to have to let you figure that out on your own. It's very unfortunate, but I feel like Melo's athletic prime death actually came very public in front of everybody. It was just like, wow, like he's the last person to really accept it. Let me make this fun. Let me go ride the bike before the game. Let me get the crowd into it. Let me wave the towel for the you know first couple minutes of the game. I had to start psyching myself out to try to get myself going and prepared for coming off the bench. So call my number, Melo, come on, let's go. I'm running to the, I'm running to the table. You know what I'm saying? So it, I had to do all, I had to do all that to psych myself up. I got it. I got not advice, but people just was there for me. You know, it, it was, yo, I mean, Melo, you know, keep your head up, keep doing what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I had, I had that support, um, but it, yeah, I just really questioned the, the the some of the support around Melo, man. Just the honesty, man. Because we've seen LeBron James in public. He's not honest about what kind of player Melo had became. 
you know, what Melo had become because, you know, he said Melo should be on the team, but then the Lakers had every opportunity to, you know, have Melo on the team. Look at Jared Fat-Ass Dooley, man. Like, that shit is crazy that, you know, LeBron James has him on the squad over Melo. You know, even with an open roster spot, they took J.R. Smith. Like, it was... It's just a lot of weirdness going on. CP3 talking about Melo should be in the league, but it didn't. He he wasn't a good fit on your team. It's like guys are not really being honest with this guy, and it's. I feel like a lot of players understand what's going on with Melo, and just, they're not being honest. I wasn't open to hearing nobody at that point because I I was trying to shut myself. I was trying to shut myself. And the more you hear what you can do, and you're not able to do that, it hurts you. Like it, it, it messes you up emotionally. So for me, it was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear yo, no man, that shit is fucked up and you should be doing this and you should be starting and you sh he should be starting over. Like, I, I don't want to hear that. You know? So once again, Melo spoke about, you know, the time off he had where teams just weren't interested, his mindset, you know, how did he recalibrate himself basically? It was very, honestly, it was that year was like, I went from being super emotional like questioning myself second guessing myself like damn do i still got it like do i still want to do this you know is, is, is this a sign for me to get away from the game is, is this my calling to be out like i started thinking that and it took me about honestly it took me about eight months to like get out of that get out like to, to get out of that and the only reason I was able to get out of that that funk was like my son had my son my AAU team right so I was home and I was able to travel with my AAU team I was able to be in the gym around the kids and train them and work with them and travel and go to the tournaments and being being that environment to get me away from my you know back the, the NBA environment and what I realized is that they was my therapy you know, they was the ones who was, man, oh, you still got it. No, you still got it, man. Don't worry about that. Like, man, I can't wait for you to go to this day because every week it was always another team that I was going to go to. It was always another team. So it was just, it was like ironic because it like something came out every Thursday about another team that I was going to. And then my AU team tournament was that weekend. So you you get all of that, all of that media pushing. Everybody's like, where is he going? Which team? Where is this? So I'm getting that excitement. And that's what really like propelled me forward to just be like, man, just stay with it. Now, this is Melo's beginning of his maturation of understanding his new role, which we all seen in Portland, which he excelled at. But this is what he was being asked way before. In OKC, when they approached him, I believe after that first year, and also in Houston, Melo began to understand his role, and this is when he became more of a catch-and-shoot guy, and also his fitness definitely improved. Something hit me like, just stay with it. Don't worry about it. And my, my wife was a, was a real big part of, you know, keeping me, keeping keep my confidence at an all-time high. Portland, to me, it was like, for many reasons, not just basketball. <clears throat> I needed it. I needed that environment. I needed that peace. I needed to be in a place where I can sit and think. And, you know, I said it earlier, we don't get a chance to reflect. 
right? So I got a chance to kind of just reflect on just life, basketball, <clears throat> you know. Was it a second chance? Yes, it was a second chance. And hopefully in that reflection, I mean, I could tell Melo understood that the game was a lot bigger than him. It was more of the team involvement. And, you know, his prime years are just him being the that main guy. It's, it was over. Now it's, it's, it's about the game, you know? It's less about him because everything about this I, me, my mentality, you know, just for me, you know, I need this. It's a lot of that. And that's the old Melo. The new mellow is much improved, and he definitely could help out a lot of teams, and he could definitely play a couple more years. Definitely what we saw in Portland, they're fine. he's finally understanding his role and being that catch-and-shoot guy that they've been asking him to be the last three years. Yes, it was a second chance, but for me, it was more like they they taken, they taken a chance on me, and I have to be there for them, right? They call me. We, we want you. And I was like, you want me or you need me? You know what I'm saying? Like, which one is it? And it was just like, yeah, we, we, we really need you. Like, we, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they definitely really needed Mello. But because on the low, man, <laughs> you know, these two guys, man, Dame and CJ, they're kind of fans of Mello, low key. But I mean, it was definitely a weird sign. And Portland was struggling all season long. And even after they got Mello, they were about, they were about uh, I believe, 6-10. and 10. They were still struggling, but Melo, at the end of the day, man, he did provide a boost to that team that they needed, that, that third scoring option. So because they told me that they needed me, that made me like, I got, this is where I, this is where I need to be because they need me. If they need you, they want you. But if they want you, they don't need you. It's a difference, you know what I'm saying? So it's a big difference. So I'm like, this is it. Terry, give me what's my role? You know what I'm saying? Like I, I need to know, I need to know my role before I come in there. And they laid, they laid it straight, laid it all the way out. You come in here, ready to play? Are you in shape? Come in ready to play. Yeah, they needed Melo, man, because even Dame was injured when Melo first came back. They just needed everything that he can do, and this was actually a perfect fit for him. Even though CJ and Dame were trying to get him on the team years ahead, but. I believe Melo probably thought that they couldn't win. So what was the point? And nobody was seeing me, right? So nobody knew if I was training, working out. Nobody nobody knew. So when I go to Portland, it's like, oh, you you really, you in shape. Like, you, what you been doing? And I'm like, I got to stay in shape. My mental, I got I to gotta, I gotta stay active. My body, I'm getting older. We got to take care of our body. So that was the most important thing for me. So all of this goes down the week prior to when we come to New Orleans. And I'm and I'm just like, they like, yo, this is Thursday or Wednesday. Could you meet us in San Antonio on Friday? And I say, look, there's no way in hell I'm gonna meet you in San Antonio and play <laughs> when I've been on a couch for a year. Like, it ain't, it ain't, that's not happening. I said, I need, get me through the weekend. I, I need to, I need to, I need to get my family. I need to, you know, I need to start. I need to do it. I gave myself a own mini camp. Yeah. A two day, I, I did three days, two a days. Um, and that was that was my mini camp. And then I met them. I met them in New Orleans. I've always respected him. Always. It, always. He, he was one guy I've always respected as a player, but as a as a person. Even though I didn't know him, 
even before I got, I, I always respected him. He was an honest, truthful guy, humble guy, loyal. Yeah, Damon, and Damon's definitely a fan of Melo right here. You know, they definitely wanted Melo on the squad years a, years before when they were trying to chase down Stephen Curry. But even though they didn't get Melo, man, those guys still grinded, putting themselves in great position, you know, taking advantage of teams with certain injuries or just certain scenarios to get to that conference finals. Very loyal. And even prior to me going this year, we've always had conversations. Yo, man, come to Portland. You know, it's like we always had dialogue. This is the place you need to be. Now, I remember earlier when I was talking about Melo's free agency year in New York, I believe around 2014, when he was going around, Portland was one of those stops. And Damon CJ, I believe Melody even paid him no mind. He didn't even stop there. But Portland was definitely an option. They were trying to get Melo because they just lost, I believe, LaMarcus Aldridge. He went to the San Antonio Spurs around that time. So Portland freed up some money. And, you know, CJ was on the come up, but Melo had a, a chance to go there and he didn't pay them no mind because obviously he thought that they couldn't really, you know, make a deep run. He didn't see the reason why he should take a pay cut and sign with a new team. Once again, Melo's always chosen the money. That's pretty much going to be the downfall of his career. All his peers, LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Paul, they all took pay cuts to put themselves in a better position to make deep playoff runs to make a, you know, to try to get a championship here. He was like my biggest, biggest supporter. I need you here. Come to Portland. We want you. And this is where you need to be. You need to be over here with us. And for the past couple of years, Portland was always that team like, yo, what's up with Portland? I'm like, you gonna get it done? Can they get it done? Don't come to me unless they unless they can get it done. I don't want to hear about Portland. Like that was my mentality. You know what I'm saying? Cause I didn't want to put them there and then nothing, nothing happened and leading them on. So I was like, unless they're gonna pull a trigger right now, then I, it's not gonna happen. But you know, they wasn't they wasn't trying to you know get rid of some pieces that they had. You know, the business of basketball starts to come into play. The politics start to come into play. Once again, Melo's bullshitting. He had a chance to go there. I mean, once again, Melo, come on, man. The truth shall set you free, brother. And the truth shall set you free. Damon CJ was interested when you was a free agent before you signed that extension with the Knicks, I believe in 2014 and 2015. And you just, you wasn't really paying them no mind. Come on. Um, But this year made up for that, right? For me personally, this year made up for that. I said I was I was done at 35. <laughs> I said I was done at 35. And then I was just I said 37, which yeah. would be this next year. But honestly, the way that I felt and the way that I feel physically, it's like I don't even think about that no more. Like Yeah, the way the league is now, I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Melo could play a lot longer if he, you know, uses his smarts, his actual basketball mind. And just, you know, know his strengths, knows his weaknesses, position himself a certain way, especially on defense, take advantage of younger guys. But as long as his jump shot, you know, his three-point shot gets up, Melo could stay in the league for a while. I mean, what we've seen in the bubble is only the early part of Melo's new game. And Melo could be a very crucial piece to even perhaps even the Lakers next year. Who knows? But if his three-point shot, you know, just... Being a spot-up shooter is just more on point. He could be a major piece for a lot of these teams. 
Just we just need you, Melo, to understand your role. Just be that spot up shooter. Don't take another dribble. As soon as we pass it to you, get that shot up. I, I, it's hard for me to think about. And just to put it in perspective, I got a chance to play at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a high level for a long time, 15 plus years, right? And then that's that's taken from me. So now you get your perspective changed about life at that point. And in my situation, people don't come back. You know, guys don't come back. Guys give up, teams give up on them, and guys just don't have to fight to keep doing it, especially at that point. At, you know, 15 years in, it's like, all right, I ain't about to keep doing this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's wasting a year. Nah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But for me, the, the, re the reason why it worked for me, it helped me, because I, I disconnected from the game as a whole. And I told I believe that's great for Melo. That was a good thing for Melo. He disconnected from the game. You know, put a lot of things into perspective of why he was where he was at. And the way, you know, he came back to the game, as we've seen, you know, throughout this current season and into the bubble, he was much more humbled and kind of had a better understanding of the game. And you've seen the more dedication he had towards the game with his level of fitness. So I got myself to a point where I'm like, I did enough for the game. I did enough for myself. Monetary-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm good. My family good. We're good. I don't have anything else to give to the game. And if this is the way that I got to go out, I'm cool with it. You know what I'm saying? I, I had to be at peace with the like, way I was at. So I'm just like, this is it. Like, I told my agent, yo, don't call no more teams. Don't call no teams. I'm done. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm at a place mentally and spiritually. Like, I'm not... I don't want to deal with that no more. I, if somebody gonna come in and mess my piece up, I don't. I don't, don't want to deal with it. And I didn't watch basketball for like damn near eight nine months. Like that that year, I didn't watch it. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't up to, up to speed on who was doing what. I didn't know who was on what team, you know. And I when I came back and we played against you guys, it was like I had to get right back into it. But it's just like the league started to shift. And then finally, Melo's starting to understand, man, where the league is at right now. And just that old school, you know, early 2000s when Melo came into the league, mid-2000s, of just guys, you know, chucking up a bunch of shots. The Vince Carters, the Kobe Bryants, the early Kobe Bryants, you know, the Allen Iversons, the guys, you know, who shot around 40%, you know, volume shooters, guys that took like 25-plus shots a game. The game is, you know, of today is just starting to evolve more than that. Guys got to be way more efficient. They got to be like on, almost on Kevin Durant status, shooting about 50%. Having the ball just stop. The game just evolved, man. And you got to keep evolving with it. I mean, look at LeBron. He's become a way better three-point shooter. This guy has taken, you know, three-point shots from almost half court. Guys got to switch up. Even D-Wade started shooting threes more towards the end of his career. And Melo, you know... I believe this is a new chapter in Melo's career. And, you know, he could last about four more years if he improves on his three-point shooting, which we've seen in the bubble. It's definitely improved. But like I said, it's only the beginning. Guys, I'm like, damn, who, who's that? Who is that? Who is you know, I had to re-educate myself, but I had to disconnect from the actual game and say, this is it. I accept it. Now it's time for me to move on to another part of my life. Yeah, so my, my legacy... And, and just a game of basketball. 
I don't think, for me personally, I don't think winning a championship defines who I am and what I've created and what I've, what I've done for this game of basketball, right? What I've done for this game of basketball and what I continue to do for the game of basketball is bring awareness in different aspects, right? Mentally toughness, right? How do you not give up? How do you not quit? Like, these are the things on top of all the accomplishments that I've ever had. These are the things that make your legacy, that builds your legacy. Now, the ultimate goal is always to win a championship. We all want to win championships. It's guys who you can't even name right now some of these teams who won a championship. That doesn't mean anything, right? They're still going to be who they are. For me, that was that would validate my legacy from a basketball standpoint, a championship. But if I don't get it, am I angry? Am I sad? Am, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm just not because I know how hard I work night in and night out to get to that goal. And I just, and as of right now, I, 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 I wasn't fortunate enough to do it. Because a lot of things have to go well. Teams where it's like, yo, they gonna win it. And it don't go right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, these are the things that people don't take into consideration. Everything gotta go right to win a championship from top to bottom. Owners, front office execs, training staff, the people that, the, people, the, the, the helpers that's working, the players, the coaches, you know, the water boy, like everything has to go accordingly to win a championship. And Melo's right about that. Everything does have to go accordingly, but also it falls on you. The guy that wants to be the main guy, the star, the captain, he has to understand his role. He has to understand what, what to do, what's best for the team. And he has to kind of have a more micro perspective on what's going on around the league, the trends. I mean, LeBron James is a perfect example of it. A player that knows like, you know, what guys, you know, he, that, that, that could fit around him. The trends that's going around the league. You see Stephen Curry shooting threes. A lot of guys shooting threes. He's improving his jump shot. He's willing to take a pay cut. These are a lot of things that Melo throughout his career has shown. Like, you know, he doesn't have a real understanding of. But over time, he started to understand. But it was a little bit too late as far as him being in that leadership position. But now he's kind of understanding his role a little bit better. And I believe this is a, a new chapter for Melo. And it could last about three to four more years. Like I said, Melo improves on his jump shot. Could be around the league for a long, long time. But Melo, man, just, you know, the truth set you free, brother. And it seems like he's finally starting to realize the truth about himself and he's starting to accept it. And the truth shall set you free. Yeah, and the truth shall set you free. It is what it is. Like I said, Melo has a very complicated history as far as, you know, with the Knicks. Because at the end of the day, we're going to look back. He definitely did bring basketball back to New York City. But at the same time, there was going to be a, a, a glass ceiling because Melo at the time, I'm not sure because the way he came up in the league or through AAU or even through college, but he kind of bought a, you know, let me get mine attitude throughout his whole career as far as him getting his contracts, getting his points, you know, understanding systems going back and forth with coaches like Mike D'Antoni, uh, his earlier coaches in Denver. I mean, both his coaches, his rookie year and with George Call. There's a lot of coaches he had fallen out with. Mike D'Antoni once again in Houston. You know, that bum-ass coach out in OKC. But it is what it is. Mellow Mass is forever complicated history with this guy, but 
definitely it's nice redemption story his story out in portland it is what it is until next time y'all stay safe peace